Today we're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to begin talking about forgiveness. And most everything that you can pull from the Bible, at least on some level, hits home with just about each and every one of us. Uh, but I don't know if there is one thing that is any more relevant uh, and targets each and every one of our hearts more than our struggle to forgive. Uh, we're going to take some time over these next few weeks and we're going to look at some different areas of forgiveness. Uh, we're going to look at forgiving others. Has anybody, has, has anybody ever struggled with forgiving other people? Some other people, right? Okay, so sometimes we struggle with forgiving others. We're going to talk about forgiving ourselves. You ever struggle with forgiving yourself? And listen, we're also going to talk about forgiving God. Forgiving God. Now, I know that He never needs forgiveness. He doesn't need forgiveness. But I think that if we boil it all down, that at some point in our lives, we have gone to the place of, God, why did you do this to me? Right? Haven't we? So this is going to be one of those studies that we look at that, that I realize uh, is going to stir some things in our hearts. It could expose some things that each and every one of us have buried down deep inside of us as a coping or a security mechanism. Uh, and, and it's just, I don't know if it was God this week or if it was the enemy this week, uh, but somewhere along the way, just to remind me of what we're getting ready to step into I encountered someone from my past this week that I had not seen or spoken to in decades. And this person caused, I don't know if irreparable is the right word, but it caused a great amount of damage to me and my family. The details of that don't matter. I'm not going to tell you what happened. But to say that there was an incredibly deep hurt that took place within my heart and within my family because of this person may be putting it mildly. And what do I do? I walk around the corner at one of our local stores and boom, there they are. And all of a sudden, everything that I had suppressed for decades came flooding back to the front of my mind. That hurt, that trauma, all of that pain that they had caused came flooding back in. And I thought, okay, God, if this is you, you're really testing me. Is it, do you practice what you preach? Which I probably need. Well, no, probably to it. I need it. But then also I'm going, okay, if the enemy, you know, is like, this is a great get thee behind me moment. But what I found myself having to do, and what we'll, what we'll get to in greater detail, is that I had to forgive this person all over again. I had to forgive them just the same as what I did as when it actually was happening. Anybody ever had that struggle with that? Like, something's happened and you think you forgive that person? Like, you're convinced, I've forgiven them. And then all of a sudden, you see them, something happens, something's said, there's a reminder that's triggered in your mind, and all of a sudden, all of that hurt, that pain, that trauma, all of it comes rushing back in. And it's like you're reliving it all over again. And the first thought that usually crosses my mind is like, well, I must have not have really forgiven them. I thought I was over this. 
Maybe my forgiveness wasn't good. No. No. If you've forgiven them, you've forgiven them. But guess what? You're going to have to forgive them again. You're going to have to forgive them again. You're going to have to forgive them again and again. Amen? Because forgiving once isn't good enough for me. So we're going to step into this biblical study on complete forgiveness. And, and I'm going to use a couple books as reference. One is called Total Forgiveness, and one is called God Minute for Good, both of which are written by Dr. R.T. Kendall, who pastored in England for 25, 26 years. Uh, but I want to be using those two books as, as a uh, good, good resource as we go along as well. But I want us to look at the example of forgiveness. What is this all based on? What does this all what is it all based on? Well, it's based on the example of Jesus. And we look in the Gospel of Luke, and we can see this Scripture out of 2334 that says, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, today we're going to look at the example of forgiveness, uh, the perfect example, which is Jesus. We're going to look at, uh, at just kind of the highlights of another life that we find in the Bible. And then we're going to kind of look at the danger of unforgiveness really quickly today. But there's already been a couple conversations that have taken place, and I've had questions asked and situations posed to me, uh, and, and I understand them. I get them because all of the same things when I'm hurt, whenever somebody has wronged me uh, or has caused me pain, I understand where these questions are coming from. But we've all kind of wrestled with these things like, well, I'm not going to forgive them until they say they're sorry. Right? Don't we, don't we want that? It's like, they need to come to me and apologize, and then I'll forgive. Well, according to our example here, I don't see where anyone was asking Jesus to forgive them. None of them were recognizing the wrong that they were doing to Jesus in this moment, but yet Father, He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They're not, they're, they don't understand what they're doing. And really, the reality of it is in our lives, most of the time when people hurt us, when they cause us pain, they cause us trauma, trauma, guess what they don't realize? They don't realize they've done it. I can tell you in my life that I have hurt people. I've said things. I've done things that have hurt and harmed and caused pain in other people's lives. And very rarely have I known that's what I was doing. One of the biggest struggles that we're going to learn in this complete biblical forgiveness look that we're taking is that most of the time, it's not required for you to go to the person and tell them that you forgive them. Because that conversation could go like this, especially if that person doesn't know that they've done anything to hurt you. You walk up to them all self-righteously. I forgive you. For what? Oh, you know what you did. No, really, I don't have a clue. What are you talking about? Don't you play that way with me. You know exactly what you did. No, I don't. Really, I don't. Oh, you hurt me. No, I didn't. I don't know what you're Oh, you know exactly. You need to be, you need to forgive. I can't believe I'm even having this conversation. Well, what do you think I did? Tell me what I did. I don't even know what I did. And then you wind up into a whole new situation that's unfolding here. 
See, we have some preconceived ideas of what forgiveness is and what it should look like. And that causes us most of the time to continue to dwell in unforgiveness. We, um, there's this, this prayer that most of us pray that we want peace. Anybody, anybody ever prayed for that? Okay, two people are shaking their heads yes. We want peace. We desire peace. We not only want peace around us, but the biggest source of peace that we're trying to obtain is peace internally. Right? Like, I just want to be at peace in here. And what we're going to see is that when we can take the position of completely and totally forgiving the way that the Bible teaches us to, then that source of peace settles inside of us. Doesn't matter what's going on around us. If we've got this peace, this sense and source of peace internally, then, then we, can, we can navigate through things. But see, the decision is, and, and I don't know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not theologically smart enough to understand what is our choice and what isn't our choice. You know, like what God is, is, just says and then the things that we have a determination in. But one thing that I do know is that we have a choice to forgive or to not forgive. And when we forgive and we flow in that, then we flow in this sense of biblical peace and this settledness inside of our spirit, no matter what's happening around. But if we choose unforgiveness, then this bitterness begins to creep in in our hearts. And then we, we become this judge, jury, and executioner all at one time. Like We struggle with not being able to forgive because we have in our minds what we consider has to, has to be. Like, this is what it has to look like. If I forgive someone, they've wronged me, then there's something that has to look like. There has to be vindication. There has to be revenge. There has to be repentance. There has to be this price that's paid. And they need to get their just dues. They need to get what's coming to them. Am I preaching to myself in here this morning, or is anybody else here? Like, is this hitting home with anybody else? Because I've been beat up all week. I even had to take Tuesday, not off work, but off from trying to put a scripture, an outline together. Because I told Kim, I was like, I got to take a break. I got beat up all day Monday. All day. And here's the ironic part about it is, is when we forgive, there's a source of spiritual peace. When we don't, it's bitterness. It's this, this hanging on to this unforgiveness that, that turns toxic in our life. But the ironic part about it is, is at least for a little while, the bitterness feels good, doesn't it? Especially, oh my goodness, especially if that person has to start paying a price for what they did. <laughs> it's like, oh, if we start to see them suffer, we're just, thank you, Jesus. That's the Lord right there. But that's dangerous because bitterness, unforgiveness, the, the refusal to relinquish these hurts, they're going to turn toxic 
in your system. And you're going to find yourself in a state of unforgiveness that's holding you in bondage, holding you in a prison cell as a captive. And guess what? You're the only one that's holding you there. You're in a prison cell of unforgiveness where the door is wide open, but yet you're refusing to walk out. And one of the reasons we refuse to walk out is because we want to be able to look out there and see that other person paying the price, right? Am I right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, says the Lord. You see, because that's another one of the questions that I was asked. Okay, are we going to be talking about like forgiveness in the Old Testament? Are we going to be talking about forgiveness in the New Testament? Because I kind of want to know what kind of standard I want here. Because if we're going to go with that Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, sign me up, I'm on board. But now this New Testament stuff of Jesus, this turn the other cheek, I don't know if I'm all about that or not. You see, and I think it's about uh, who's the one that's being wronged here. Because I think most all of us, if we're given to our own fleshly desires, then if it's someone who's hurt us or someone that we've loved, we want the eye for the eye and the tooth for a tooth. But when it comes to us needing forgiveness, we want people to look at it from the turn the other cheek thing, right? You see, when it's dealing with the sins of others, then we want the eye for the eye. We want the tooth for the tooth. We want them getting the just dues. But if it's talking about my sins, my failures, my shortcomings, God have mercy on me and let them have mercy on me too. Am I, am I right? So here's what we're going to do through this to kind of combat that mindset of, well, there's an Old Testament type of forgiveness and then there's a New Testament type of forgiveness. The main source that we're going to be using for this study is going to be the Old Testament example of Joseph. The Old Testament example of Joseph because in his life from Genesis, the record of Genesis 45 through 50, we find evidences of how we need to forgive today now just to kind of give you a reader's digest version super quick about not like the gas station but super quickly about joseph's life joseph was the youngest son of israel of jacob and joseph was a brat i mean joseph was kind of a punk all right, because he was around 17 years old. God was giving him prophetic dreams, two of them, as a matter of fact. And the prophetic dreams were this, that you're basically, you're going to rule over your brothers and they're all going to bow down and serve you and, and you're going to be elevated above them. You see, it's one thing to be a 17-year-old who has prophetic dreams. But it's another thing completely to be a 17-year-old who has prophetic dreams, who knows when to be quiet about it. And most of us at 17, we're not really good about being quiet of things, especially if you're looking at an older sibling and you're going, oh, I'm going to rule over you. Buddy boy, you will rue the day when you do this. But we see that Scripture says that his father favored him and loved him and made him what we learn in Sunday School and VBS, Coat of Many Colors. Some translation says a highly ornamented robe, but it's something that was a, 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 a great gift from his father. And knowing Joseph and having a little bit of a problem with, 
you know, humility. He probably rubbed it in his brother's faces. So one day as they're out, his dad asked him to go out there, check on him. And what happens? <laughs> they come up with a plot to kill him. Which, let's just be honest, if you're an older sibling in here, <laughs> I mean, if you're a younger sibling, I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard Mike Back talk about his siblings, but I'm pretty sure that there was plots afoot to do bodily harm at some time. But then they decide, cooler heads prevail. <laughs> Look, there's a caravan of Egyptians. Let's just sell him. Oh, wait, first we're going to put him in a pit. Then we'll just leave him. No, wait, we'll sell him. Ooh, ooh, what we can do is get that coat. You know that one that he's rubbed in our face for years? Get that coat. We'll sell him. The Egyptians bought him. Sell him into the house of Pharaoh. And then we'll get an animal's blood and we'll wipe it all over the coat. We'll make it look all disheveled and we'll take it back to dad and say, sorry, found this. <laughs> Doesn't look too good. And that's what happens. They sell him into Egyptian slavery, into Potiphar's house. And they take the coat back, and that was the determination that Israel made, that Jacob made, was like, that. this is my son. He is, he's dead. The animals have gotten him. Something's happened. So he's sold into Potiphar's house. He rises up into a place of respect and authority within the house, and he found favor in Potiphar's sight. Well, what happens is, Joseph, it's described that he was a very good-looking young man. Potiphar's wife did not have the greatest of intentions for said good-looking young man and tried to convince him to sleep with her. When he did not, she made up a story that he had forced himself on her. And what happens? Joseph finds himself in a prison. So in this prison, he begins to interpret dreams. And he's like, okay, if you're getting out, then go tell Pharaoh about my gift. Go tell Pharaoh about me, please. Well, the guy forgets. He just chooses not to. So Joseph continues to remain in this prison. And then Pharaoh has dreams that none of his magicians, none of his diviners, none of his wise men can interpret. And at that point, the cupbearer's like, oh, I remember there was this dude. I think his name was Joseph. I was in prison with him. He, can, he interpreted my dreams. He should do this. So he brings him. Pharaoh brings him in front of him. Joseph interprets the dreams. Talks about how there's a famine coming. And he tells him, here's what we need to do. And he begins to rise within the ranks all the way up to the number two person. Kind of like the prime minister in Egypt. And then the famine brings his brothers back to him. And the very ones that put him in this place, the very reasons that he has gone through Egyptian slavery, bondage, prison, highs, lows, in-betweens, the sources of everything that's hurt him, that's traumatized him, that's been painful to him, all of a sudden show up in, in his court right in front of him asking for help, and they don't even know it's him. And it's in this story that we're going to look in the Old Testament in the time of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We're going to see God's grace and complete forgiveness. Now the last, thing, the last point I want to make to you this morning is the danger of unforgiveness. 
some of the danger of unforgiveness. Turn your Bibles into Ephesians chapter 4, please. We talked about this. This is kind of what we set up last week with talking about wanting and desiring to be used of God and, and experience a new level of, of our service to Him and a new anointing in Him. And this is just one of those things that, like I said, we choose forgiveness or we choose bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. And there's a danger if you choose the latter, if you choose to remain in unforgiveness, if you choose to live your life in bitterness, there's a danger in that. And this is what we see out of Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think that would be a good prayer for all of us, right? God, I, please, I do not want to grieve your Holy Spirit. Can you all agree with me on that, that none of us in here want to grieve God's Holy Spirit? Okay, good. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, this is one of those Scriptures that we talk about so frequently. You know, this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we not grieve? What grieves the Holy Spirit? What, what could He possibly mean? What, Paul, what were you saying to us there? What could possibly grieve? Because I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, so God help me to understand. I don't want to do things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Can you help me understand what does this? Yeah, verse 31. What's the first thing he says? Let all bitterness. What is the root of bitterness? Unforgiveness. So let all bitterness, let all wrath, let all anger. Can you see a pattern here? That if you're living with unforgiveness in your life right now, that you're probably experiencing everything he's talking about because you've become bitter, you're wrathful towards the person, you're angry towards them, and clamor and slander be put away from you. Because if we're dealing with hurts, if we're dealing with traumas that someone has brought upon you or your family, don't we try to recruit teams also? Like to tell everybody else, tell other people what they've done to us, how wrong they've been so we can develop this team around us. There's a danger in unforgiveness in our lives. And that danger is grieving God's Holy Spirit is coming in between the relationship that you have as His son or His daughter with Him as your Lord and your Savior. When bitterness and unforgiveness get a root, get a hold in your heart and in your life, then the enemy has you exactly where he wants you. Because bitterness, wrath, Anger, slander, clamor, all of these things are going to be the fruit of what you're producing. It's not going to be the fruit of the Spirit because you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And you're not going to be able to produce the love, joy, peace, patience, understanding, long-suffering, kindness. You're not going to be able to produce those because you're grieving the Holy Spirit because of unforgiveness in your life. 
And then we begin to produce bitterness and anger and lashing out and temper and just all of these things, this gossip and this drawing in and division. And I would like to see by a show of hands, how many of you want more of God in your life? You're not going to get it if unforgiveness is there. If you have bitterness and unforgiveness operating in your hearts towards someone else, towards a family member, towards a coworker, towards a church member, towards a community member, towards a political party, towards an agenda, if you have unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart, then you're making the choice to limit what God can do in your life and how much He can work in you. See, this is why I had to take a break after Monday. We have to completely forgive. And that's what I believe that God is calling us to do in this season. I told you last week that I'm praying for revival to break out in First Church. I hope that you all have been praying that prayer with me this week. God, send revival and send it right here. I mean, why not here, right? Why not here? But I can promise you something. Revival is never going to happen in our own lives if we still just camp out in bitterness, in unforgiveness, and resentment. So really quickly, I just kind of want to give you some practical outplayings of this, and we'll, we'll d- dive a whole lot deeper into these details. Somebody asked me if there was, hey, at the end of this, you're going to be able to give us a magic pill about how to forgive. Sure. Sure. Here's your pill. <laughs> Take it as often as you can every day. That's the magic pill right there. But we are going to talk about some practical steps here. We are going to talk about some things that are going to challenge your heart and that will, uh, if you give them opportunity, offend you. You may need to forgive me a couple times through this. And you don't have to come to me and tell me that you're forgiving me. But number one, practical forgiveness is a daily process. You have to do it each and every day. Because like I talked about with that hurt that was from decades ago, know something, your enemy is not lazy. The enemy and his attacks on your life, he is not lazy. If there is not a current offense or a current hurt that you're dealing with, he will make sure that you regurgitate previous hurts. That you will continue to relive past hurts over and over and over again. And guess what? Each and every time that he has that past hurt in front of you, you're going to have to forgive them just the same today as what you did however long ago it was. Biblical forgiveness is a daily process. It is a lifetime sentence. Because you're going to have to do it every day for the rest of your life until we see Jesus. Next, biblical forgiveness is different from the world's forgiveness. Very quickly, I was reading an article by Dr. Michelle Barta, I believe was her name, written in Psychology Today, March 3rd, 2022 of this year, that said that that the scientific and the psychological community is really just now coming to a heightened awareness of how beneficial forgiveness is for us in our physical being in our emotional being in our mental standing that they're talking now more than ever about it's good for you to forgive because guess what holding unforgiveness about against someone else that doesn't bother them 
doesn't affect them, but it surely affects us. And she detailed three levels of forgiveness. One was a limited forgiveness, which is one in which you can just say in yourself that I forgive that person for what they've done. There's no restoration whatsoever. There's limited, there is partial, there is this sense of the next step being that I'm going to forgive them and there is partial restoration in the relationship. Maybe we're not fully back to where we once were, but we're cordial enough. And then the world's definition right now of full forgiveness is when we can forgive someone and fully restore the relationship that we have. But the biblical definition of complete and total forgiveness is that within yourself, you're completely and totally forgiving that person regardless of whether restoration is ever made or not that you live in a sense of where Jesus looks at them and goes, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they've done. And, And the last thing this morning is that it must be modeled on Christ's example. And there's going to be a lot of details about this Christ example and in the life of Joseph that we're really not going to like. But you want to know what was the hardest thing for me this week when I ran into that person that had caused so much hurt and pain in my life and my family's life? Is after that awkward encounter, I came back and God said, you need to pray for them. I was like, okay, God, I'll pray for them. Bless their hearts bless their hearts God was like no 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 I want you to pray for them like I want you to pray for them that I will bless them whoa what listen I'm okay with forgiving I'm okay with that I don't want are you you want me to ask for your best in their life are you kidding me God do you not remember what they did to me I was like you need to bless them You need to pray blessing upon them. I'm like, okay, this is one I'm not winning. Like I've ever won an argument with God, but you know, it's like I still hold out hope for some reason. I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to win this one, so bless them. That's not good enough. Bless them. Try again. Bless them. Just bless them. But Christ's example is that He forgave us and He gives us His blessings. Amen? I hope your all's toes hurt as much as mine do. But forgiving by Christ's example is not only forgiving them, but wanting to see God's best in their life. And here's the most challenging part. What if... What if God's best in their life, by your definition, is better than God's best in your life? What if if God blesses them with the blessings that you've been praying for, for yourself? See guys, we got a lot of work to do. Because in my heart, I'm sitting there going, no, no. No, no, don't want that. We've got some work to do, but guess what? What if, I'll pose this question to you, and I'm going to ask the praise team if they would to come on back up.
I want to pose this same question to you that I did last week. What if revival coming to our church is dependent upon you completely forgiving people in your life? What if revival in our family is dependent upon us completely and totally forgiving those who have hurt us? Take it one step further. What if revival in our church is completely and totally dependent upon our complete and total forgiveness of those who have hurt the ones that are closest to us? Because it's one thing to hurt me, but you start bringing my wife and my daughter and the people that I'm closest with into that hurt, then I've got a much more difficult time forgiving. You know, that whole papa and mama bear thing? Yeah, he expects you to forgive that too. And what if revival in our lives, in our church, is dependent upon us completely and totally forgiving? 